Welcome to Running Out of Space, a podcast about collectors, their collections, and how they make room for it all in their lives. My name is Adam Grabarnik, and I've been a collector since I was a child. It began with stickers, which led to comics, which led to toys, sneakers, posters, pins, wine, and on and on and on. Taking a wide angle view of my obsession for ownership, I've come to see how my collections have become intertwined with my personality and sense of identity. Speaking with other collectors on the internet and in real life, I've come to see that I'm not alone. The Running Out of Space podcast is a celebration of the spirit that unites all collectors. Because it doesn't matter if you collect paintings, watches, stamps, cars, guitars, or Barbie dolls, there is a common component within the collector themselves that transcends the object collected. Though the trophies may be different, the hunters are more similar than they know. My guest today runs the Instagram account, Marvel Comics Guide, which details key Marvel moments from 1960 to 2015. No, he's not an employee of the publisher, just a comic book aficionado whose daily riffs on heroes from the House of Ideas has attracted over 60,000 followers with both deep cuts for the OGs and greatest hits for the noobs. To see selects of my guests' collections, follow the show's Instagram at Running Out of Space Podcast. And now, welcome to the show, Dave Molyneux. You're in London right now, huh? I'm in Hampshire in England. Okay. Which is kind of, it's down south. It's, it's like, I don't know how many miles from London. It's outside of London. Nice. This interview brought on the English weather that's raining out here in LA. I actually really like it. I don't like the sun. So we, we went to, uh, I've been to America a couple of times and one year was so ridiculously hot that it was virtually pointless me being there. Pale Irish skin. Can't do it. It's all good. When did you start the Marvel Comics Guide? Um, I started around about 2012 um, and it's because like, I've, I've got an incredibly bad memory. So like, I've been obsessed with uh, Marvel Comics since I was about eight years old. Um, and it was it, the Secret Wars got me into it, mm-hmm. basically, um, as it did so many people back in that, that time. But we got it a, about a year late in England because they were doing it as reprints in a UK reprint series which used to feature Alpha Flight as well so like you couldn't get hold of proper American comics in this country very easily. Yeah that was kind of what I was going to get to here so I guess we could dive right in. How would you get your comics? Would it be the direct market or would it be newsstands? Um, you, you just mentioned reprints so you didn't get yeah. actual issues. Were there, there were different printings that that came to the UK? Yeah they basically used Marvel UK used to reprint the US stories in their own titles. So like Secret Wars 2 ran for about 32 issues instead of 12. Wow. And they split it up over a number. And like, I used to get Transformers as well. And that was split up over issues. And they'd add in all the other stories to kind of pad it out. So it was fortnightly, so like bi-weekly compared to monthly. So they were just trying to fill it. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, one day in about 1989, I walked into a, we had these little shops called news agents that just sell sweets and newspapers basically. Uh-huh. And I walked into one and there's an array of 20 US Marvel comics, including Amazing Spider-Man 316, which is the Venom leaning over Spider-Man uh-huh. covered by Todd McFarlane, which is like 
it literally blew my mind. Like it was, it was too much for my 12 year old brain to deal with. <gasps> I recognized the, the black costume. And was that the first time that you saw McFarlane art is three, yeah. well, what'd you say? Three twelve or three sixteen? I know the cover. Uh, I just 316, don't, I... Yeah. Three sixteen. Wow. Um, so yeah, that was, a, that was, a, I think the story began the issue before. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that was the first one I saw. And, and I think that was the same month we had uh, Rob Liefeld on Uncanny X-Men just after Inferno. And you had, so like, and, and I think Jim Lee started on Uncanny X-Men a little while after that. Mm -hmm. So it was quite a time to start, you know, there were some big name creators coming out around that time. Um, but they only had 20 titles, like they wouldn't get any more in. Yeah. Um, and they'd stick little stickers, price stickers on them. Like, oh, don't stick stickers on them. What are you doing? So oh, I no. would write 50p on them. Like, how dare you? Right. What are you doing? Do you still um, have those issues with the stickers on them? I, I did um, for a long time. So basically, from, from 1989 up to 2010, I amassed 11,500 comics, um, just Marvel. I had 54 boxes, long boxes in my house. And I had to move house so many times around like around the 2010 mark. Right? But yeah, between 2005, 2010, I moved house so many times. I had to carry these 54 long boxes of comics. I'm just like, what am I doing? You're a true soldier and a true believer, right? Too right. And I had I put on actual muscle. Yeah. Do you still have all the boxes? I did. So, I mean, I, I, this is the thing about, about that, well, very much the theme of this of running out of space. I, I, I had to be back in with my parents at that point and there was nowhere for these things to go. Mm -hmm. um, and it was around that time I just went, I need to change how I do this. This has to stop. So I switched to trades, mm -hmm. switched to collected editions mm -hmm. and they're just so much nicer. They're so much nicer to have. And like, I mean, I said to someone, I said this to someone once uh, about like, you know, when, you, when you're looking at your books and you just kind of run your hand over the spines and they're going, no, that sounds just kind of creepy and pervy. <laughs> no one does that. I thought that was the thing everyone did. Um, but I just love it. I love the feel of it. I love, you know, you get like your Magnola Hellboys and they've got that material finish and it's part of that. The appeal of it is that production that goes into it. I'm, I'm a designer and I work in print as well quite a lot. So like, I understand how these things are put together. And it's when something's made beautifully, I really, really appreciate mm -hmm. just what's gone into it. Um, but yeah, I think around that time, then um, I got engaged and was looking to get married. So I sold all the, the floppies. You sold everything? Sold everything. Wow, great. How did you do that? Did you go through eBay um, or auction? Largely eBay, but I didn't know what I was doing. So I let them go for stupidly low money. The yeah. idea was to pay for the wedding, but then I spent it all on books. Yeah, that's how it goes, right? Um, you know, it's funny because um, there was something that happened along the way, which probably coincides with your, your affinity towards the trades, where they started making them much nicer. If you recall, we're from the same comic book collecting era. Trades were kind of few and far between. The, the shops yeah. really, maybe it was different in the UK because you had those collected editions, but in the US shops, they weren't really considered something to really um, pick up. And if you did, it was kind of trashed later. Um, yeah, it wasn't until later that they started cool. making them nice and that the, and people, collectors actually realize that there's real shelf appeal because as oh. you know, floppies, they go in a white box and you never see them again. Yeah. With, with the collected editions, they started making them very nice and they started making all the spines um, uniform. So they look really yeah. nice on the shelf. 
and I could see behind you, you have omnibuses and trades and, and there's such good shelf appeal. That didn't mm. really exist. Maybe even like yeah. when, when Marvel Masterworks started, but even when those started, the spines weren't great. The book jackets uh, kind of were, 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 weren't really made very nice, but over time, they really were able to um, streamline that and really focus on the aesthetics and the feel, the, the feel of the, of the trades. Yeah. Um, so, so I get it. Um, it's, it's funny because I look back at those times and they, they did basically just pull out the popular stuff or, or the stuff that, that people may want to read, whether it was really good or not. I remember going into a, um, a shop in, in England and you could get American comics in it. That was one of the places I used to, when I started getting them and I could get pretty much anything yeah. by about 1990, 91. Um, and they had, they had Born Again and they had Wolverine uh-huh. and there were a couple of others, you know, Frank, Frank Miller and Chris Claremont. Um, but there weren't, but you couldn't like, uh, uh, and then from the ashes, um, the Paul Smith and Chris Claremont era of X-Men, but like you could get from the ashes and I got it, but I had no real context because I couldn't get hold of a Dark Phoenix saga book at that point. And even if you did, there was, there was nothing in between. There was nothing filling those gaps and there was nothing to continue it. You then like pick up Asgardian Wars, like, okay, I'm going to try and figure out what's happened between from the ashes and this, mm-hmm. and where does Secret Wars in and, and you know and it's just trying to piece it together based on these tiny little moments and it's it's odd it's a, it was an odd way to do it and it just seems obvious to just go why don't we just create, release books of everything and that's you know that's what they did when, so when I switched to trades I was buying everything from Marvel at that point in time which is insane really um but I switched to trades really easily because they were producing everything in trade as well yeah um it was just so much easier and you and also it doesn't take up as much room when you're buying individual issues 50 percent of it is adverts yeah plus mylar bags plus the boards and you know yeah it's, I, I miss that feeling though of opening a box and flicking through like i'm in a in a comic shop there's this great comic shop in, in brighton which is called days comics it's like it was destiny yeah. uh but I, there was one day like I, if i was going to go there it was like a religious pilgrimage it's it was like um I would look forward to that day more than anything else, you know, and it's out of the way, jump on a train, go down to Brighton. One, one night I was actually supposed to go down there and I, I fell over. I had a few drinks the night before and I fell over really badly, landed on my thumb. And I think I'd either broken or sprained it. And I didn't know next morning I'm in a lot of pain. And the girl I was with at the time just went, right. You're in a considerable amount of pain. I would advise you to go to a hospital but I understand you want to go and buy comics. What's it going to be? <laughs> so we went on the train and we went down to Brighton and I bought like 150 comics that day, but she had to actually pull out the long boxes for me. And I had one hand and holding it close and then just going through them. That is passion. It's just, I couldn't say no. You can't say no. That is, that is a day I've been looking forward to too long. We're going. How often would you go? Would it be like a once a month pilgrimage or even was it not even a schedule thing is whenever a day opened up? Yeah, normally. I mean, it might end up being like two, three times a year. if That's a good year, but it might be like once. A friend of mine lived down that way. So we kind of incorporated it into seeing him. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Was I going there for him or was I going there for the comics? Yeah, I, I can relate for me. Uh, and I said this before on, on this show that the, the comic shop for me was how probably the record store is for a lot of people. It was a place to connect with a community. It was a place to kind of, you know, dig in the crates and 
also kind of an act of self-discovery in a weird way. You know, you go to a comic shop and I don't know, certain certain things are reflected back at you and you kind of discover some things about yourself. It's 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 a very kind of uh, uh, transformative experience. Uh-huh. There is something quite indescribable about it. I mean, like whenever I get to go to a comic shop now, which isn't that often, there don't seem to be a huge number of them around even at this point mm-hmm. in time. I think there are tons in London. But there's a couple scattered around in, in the county I live in, but not many. Yeah. So when I go, it's just, it's great. And you do get sorts of people that are into the same thing as you. Whereas generally, generally, I don't get to do that. And it's funny when you do talk to people in the States who just go to the comic shop every Wednesday mm-hmm. and they'll chat to people and they have these see the same people over and over again. And I don't. And it wasn't until I started doing Instagram, mm-hmm. I was talking to people with the same interest as me. And most of them are, some are America. Some are in Brazil, some are in Russia, some are, you know, they're all over the place. And it was, it was fantastic, frankly, because I, I, I am shouting into a void here. None of my friends are into comics, none of them. I've tried, but they just, I don't know, they're just not into it. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's either you, you're, you're kind of in or out. It's, I've tried the same. And some people it clicks with story by story, but you know, somebody who can appreciate like one arc is very different from somebody who just doesn't stop. Yeah, completely. You know, from it's the that, lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, like, the whole idea of getting, um, because I didn't stop Uncanny X-Men. I still, I bought Uncanny X-Men from, I think I had from 137 or maybe a couple of issues before. And I, I got the final issues for 400 and something. Wow. And even when it was Chuck Austin on it, I didn't stop. I hated it. But why? <laughs> why are we doing this to ourselves? Right, right. It's just, it's a crazy thing to do, really. I mean, because that was the thing when I switched to trades as well. And because um, I actually don't buy Marvel anymore. So I at stopped all? buying Marvel. No, not at all. I tr- I've tried a few bits, but I kind of didn't inhale. Um, Immortal Hulk didn't work for me. Wow. Donny Cates Venom didn't work for me. Powers of X, Hotspot, whatever it's called. It just didn't work for me. I, I got to a point, I think, with Marvel where they, they kind of had this great era 2000 and 2005 2004 2005 to 2010 was a magical era that's when they, they made the most of their history they made the most of their characters there's a couple of missteps like with brand new day with spider-man things like that but for the most part it was a great era and then after that it just felt like treading water again basically or trying to match the films and make it look like it was the films mm-hmm. um and it's one of those things, I think, when you're looking at the, the solicits and you're going like, OK, that sounds really exciting. That sounds great. Oh, they're doing this. Great. And it turns up and you're going, yeah, like Secret Wars didn't appeal to me at all. Like I was really excited about Hickman's Secret Wars. And then it happened and I was thinking, this isn't this isn't good. This isn't actually good. And then I, I think with them with the collected editions, I had a set rule in my head because otherwise you just go, I'm going to buy everything. Gotta have I don't stop myself. I'll invent my own rules. Yeah. But then you start to kind of become a victim of your own rules. So yeah. I, I was going, I'll get everything that's come out from 1980 to the present. Anything before that, I'll kind of decide if I'm going to get it or not. And they announced the Clone Saga, Omnibus. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, no, I've got to get that now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the pain. I know exactly the face. I know the, the exact feeling that, you, that, you, uh, that you're expressing. Just by your face. It's a crazy thought. It's like, yeah. I've got to get that. I've got to. Yeah. Damn it. 
Oh my god, these are my rules. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand it. I understand the bummer and the anxiety of now you have to get it. Yeah. Well, that was actually the moment that made me just go, it's time to shake it up. Like if I'm gonna stop by Marvel, I'm gonna look through all my shelves and I'm gonna why am I reading stuff I don't like? Why am I keeping yeah. stuff I don't like? I'm gonna get rid of it. And I basically almost gave it away. Wow. Um, like Fatal Attractions Omniverse and all this kind of stuff. Like Fatal Attractions is terrible. Yeah. Um, just got rid of it. But like, I can't stop. So I was then looking for a kind of a surrogate universe to jump into. Have you, and is that Instagram? Is that, is that kind of what led you to the account? The No. So basically I started, to, I never thought I'd drop Marvel when I started it. And um, I started to, yeah, I started 2012. So it's only three years before I stopped. Um, and I was just using it to learn Instagram for work, basically. I only started Blogger just to learn Blogger for work. Mm -hmm. So and I thought, what do, I, what do I blog about? So I started blogging about crossovers because one of the key things I was doing with single issues, especially, but I did it with trades as well, was try and buy all the crossovers. Wow. But then you kind of start going, okay, what counts as a crossover, what doesn't? And like the, the guide itself is a bit of a mix. There's some things that most people wouldn't consider crossovers, and I've included them because they do crossover, but there's no official title for that event for want of a better word so it starts just racking up the money and racking up the books and then you're buying stuff again that you don't really want sometimes mm -mm. And it's such again it's such a weird thing to do so like i had to kind of get that under control stop buying so much stuff i didn't want you know i still buy the stuff from that period that i love mm -hmm. like the 80s to 2015 mm -hmm. But I thought I'm going to go back and look at all the DC stuff I never got to read. And I think a lot of the time, like with people choosing between Marvel or DC, I think a lot of it comes down to that deep down, that knowledge that if we gave in, we'd be collecting both. You have to pick a side because otherwise it's insane. Yeah, that is the notion of, of picking sides for sure. Uh, I, I kind of just want to footnote really quick, because this is also what I love about comic books, because I... The, the, the era that you have a fondness for, what is it, 2005 to 2010? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. I was out. I was out of Marvel during that time. Oh, yeah. I was out and I started collecting comics. Wow. So the comic book that got me, I was always a Spider-Man guy, but the one that got me into like really collecting them and savoring them and kind of wanting to have, wanting to amass a chronology of them was Craven's Last Lesson. That was oh, yeah. that story arc. And I bought that at the newsstand. I would buy my comics at the newsstand. Um, and I was Marvel all the way through the 80s, 90s. And pro I probably was still collecting on and off up until the Bendis Daredevil run. Right. Right. Okay. So then at, right around Civil War is when I stopped buying is when I pulled the eject lever on Marvel for me personally. Was it that event that put you off? Kind of, just too many events. And I, I kind of started feeling like, oh, you know, nothing really changes from these events. And, you know, I, I was a victim of like the 90s speculator boom and the polybag stuff and all of those fake collector editions where, and, you know, the death of Superman, like I kind of lived through all that. So, and it was yeah. around the same time when I kind of got more interested in a lot of like the indie comics and stuff. So, I kind of went off. I didn't stop collecting or reading comics. I just kind of shifted the focus away from Marvel. 
But what brought me back to Marvel wasn't the movies. It was Hickman's Avengers and oh, really? Secret Wars. It really was. But and again, I, I don't you know, I'm not, we don't have to debate that. I don't really I'd rather not because I'd rather celebrate the fact that we love comics. Like, that's fine. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, and I actually do love Immortal Hulk. I'm not a Venom guy at all. So, I, you know, I, I, I'm not reading. I didn't read any of the King and Black stuff. But what what I really kind of want to focus on is what's so great about comic books is that you meet people like this and not everybody has the same taste. Not everybody likes the same thing. Like for me, I was never a Thor guy, but Thank with enough. you were. No, I couldn't, I couldn't understand the, attra the attraction. Never have. I liked the, I liked the Walt Simons and stuff because it was yeah. dynamic and it was actually some really pretty good storytelling. But by and large, I wasn't a Thor guy, but then along comes this Jason Aaron run and I'm a huge Thor guy now it's fantastic uh -huh. to me but the, what i'm what i again like I, what i'd like to focus on is the fact that it's almost the same with movies what's so great about comics is the discourse that it allows yeah. the connections that you can make with people and some of the you know most fascinating things that comic book uh, fans like to talk about is what they don't like or they like yeah, they do. what they do they like do a lot yeah. or why this is the best and that's awesome that's what i love about comic books the passion uh -huh. that comes along with it and the that narrative hook that we have and it's a real again reflection of one's personality and that's a beautiful uh -huh. thing that should be celebrated instead of dividing yeah it's funny because I, I mean when i do the 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 instagram account i generally don't put much of an opinion on it unless i'm saying to people look this i genuinely think this story is really bad and i would avoid it a lot of it is kind of like a platter here are some things that are out there you may not know about and you can just go and have a look at it if you want. Yeah. And then sometimes there are things that I, I gen inside I'm going, I just, this story was terrible. And people are going, this was great, wasn't it? And I'm not going right. to go, no. <laughs> right. right. And, and I guess this, this brings us to another question I wanted to ask you. Uh, because I really like how you curate the account because it's not just the trendy stuff. It's not just whatever is in the movies. Like, oh, if you like the movie, you'll like this. Obviously, there must be times when you're, you're compelled to do that because um, it's a natural, it's organic. But what I like about the account is that it really is curated. There are things that are, well, first of all, you can, you can tell that you're well-versed uh, and you're a true believer. Um, but I like how it really comes down to, oh, this, this person who runs this account actually knows what they're talking about. And they have, they have some taste in terms of like the images that you're showing. Not all stories are good, but there's some really good artwork, unfortunately, in some of these bad stories, which is also a great thing if that's what you're into. Yeah, this is true. Um, it's funny because I, I did a, I ran a question on, um, uh, it was a random Facebook page, but I shared, I shared the crossing entry um, on that page. So like, I basically covered the crossing. Um, and I set the challenge of say something positive about the crossing, <laughs> because it's, it's not the best, let's be honest. But um, and a lot of people did say like that artwork was amazing. And actually some people just like some of the costume changes or the, you know, I'm like, I think, we are in a bit of an oddly cynical age and people do tend to go like, I mean, I get a lot of people that will just drop a comment and go, this is crap. They're like, why, why stop and do that? It seems, a, that seems an odd thing to do yes. to me. I, I wouldn't stop nothing. scrolling just to say something was bad and carry on scrolling. Yeah. Um, it adds nothing to the conversation. It helps no yeah, one. It's, it's odd. But um, yeah, I think like, you know, a lot of people are very down in the nineties. And I mean, I was, what, when I started 89 properly, so the 90s was my first full decade mm -hmm. of reading comics, reading Marvel. Mm -hmm. um, 
there was some good stuff. There was some really good stuff in the 90s. Yeah. And people are very quick to go, the 90s suck. And like, there was some bad stuff in the 90s, but there's bad and good in every decade. You just got to know where to look. So some of it is just about fight, showing people that there is other stuff out there. It's not just the obvious things, or you pick the you pick the clone saga, or you pick the crossing and go, like, this happened. Wasn't it terrible? There are some other gems in there. I mean, like, like Kurt Busiek and George Perez's run of Avengers was in the 90s. Some people choose to rewrite history and go, I like to believe it was the early 2000s, but it wasn't, it was in the 90s. Um, Jim Lee on, on Uncanny X-Men when it, was, when it was at its height was the early 90s. And that was Claremont writing, wasn't it? It was Claremont writing um, for the most part, yeah. And even when they relaunched it, well, they launched X-Men number one, he did three issues and they scooted and Jim Lee stayed on that series even longer. So like those people were superstar artists and whether you like their style or not, that was that was a big deal back then. It was. Like I got a couple of people into comics briefly during that period. Um, yeah, because that art was astounding. Yeah, that's kind of it's not it's kind of looked it's kind of frowned upon now because we're I feel like we're more in the age of celebrating the writer and maybe that started with well it's debatable but maybe that shift happened with you know guys like Frank Miller and Alan Moore and Grant Morrison and that shift happened when people. You know, echoed through where people now follow, I particularly follow the writer myself. There are artists that I really love, but there's nothing bad with when it comes to the nineties in the sense that, yeah, the focus was just on the art then, you know, there was some, some terrible capitalism and speculation going on, but it was just kind of a different focus back then for the most part, when it comes to popular comics, where it was more about the art, you know, and that's not a, not necessarily a bad thing, but. I think that's really important. Um, thing to note though because people are people do generalize about comics and often they're talking about mainstream comics the problem with comics is this right um even phrases like uh, you know because comics which is like people going because they're crap aren't they like no they're they're not (laughs) stop saying things like that um it's a strange thing to do but then when you look at indie comics they tend not to follow the rules that people complain about right um, and like death, death matters in most indie comics because it's a set story, and you know it's you're not trying to resurrect a franchise character. Mm-hmm. Indie comics work generally completely differently, same as like indie films and franchise box office hits, smash hits. Like, like you're going to get a, a, how how many Fast and Furious films are we going to get with those characters constantly doing exactly the same thing? Right, but I'm like. You might go and watch Licorice Pizza. I, I really want to watch Licorice Pizza. I couldn't give a crap about the MCU stuff. I want to watch things with a story. Sure. Um, and that's what I like. Again, like, you know, comics have that appeal. Comics is just so vast and it's not just superhero stuff. Um, and even when you pick a superhero universe, I don't think superhero is even an appropriate term. I don't think it means anything because, like, Daredevil's more noir. Mm-hmm. than anything else spider-man's like an adventure thing you get your sci-fi stuff like guardians of the galaxy superhero is a bit of a redundant phrase and i think it's misleading mm-hmm. but you you know you branch out then to other stuff like i don't know what i mean i've got black hammer black science ether deadly class hellboy there's so many different comics out there that tell all sorts of different stories people tend to gravitate towards marvel and dc because they're the popcorn. They're the obvious. They're, they're right there in front of you. And they've got their big blockbuster film. Um, but I like to try and find the stuff that it's a bit more under the radar. Because there is normally the best stuff isn't the popcorn munching special effects extravaganza. 
I really try and push books like X, Peter David's X Factor, which to me is one of the best titles Marvel's ever produced. Never read it. I never read that. It's a beautiful book, man. Honestly, I strongly recommend. They're releasing the the Omni. I don't know. Do you buy? What do you get now? What do you get? Collector editions? Uh, so I'll buy. Uh, I haven't bought many Marvel omnibuses. I'm actually back to buying floppies again with when it comes oh, to Marvel. Cool. Uh, I do Marvel Unlimited. Um, when it comes to trades, I'll I, I I buy stuff from Fanographics or what I'm looking at. I'm trying to look at what, what's on my shelf. Um, Fanographics, some of the smaller press stuff, humanoid stuff, uh, some image stuff. No, I don't buy any of the Marvel hardcover stuff. Like you know, I have that. Um, oh yeah. What else? I have you got? I think there's a really good book if you like the invisibles I and mean, you may oh. not need it <laughs> but there's this brilliant book i was going to grab it yeah it's called anarchy for the masses sorry anarchy for the masses and it's it's basically a guidebook to the invisibles oh great and i don't know if it was produced here actually i'm not 100 percent. that's helpful but it's brilliant because basically i read the invisibles the first time and went i don't think i'm smart enough for this or something and then i read it the second time i, I think i like it but i don't 100 percent know what's going on and then i read it with this and it changed my perspective and it's it's a big old ask to read the invisibles i think because you you essentially to fully understand it you have to be grant morrison for sure it's just so full of references to stuff that he happens to have read that and if anyone's read the and, and watched the same films and you know whatever it is he's done that's highly unlikely but i think you know I love it. It changed my perspective for a certain time in my life. It's really groundbreaking. It's uh, even even though it came out again, it's a '90s book. Um, yeah, it's still relevant. It's it's really it's something that you can read over and over again for sure. He he described it as like a magical spell, like he was invoking a magical spell as he wrote it. It's very very Grant Morrison oh. thing to say, but it's kind of true yeah. when you're reading it. You know, there's something a little bit more coded in what he was doing. You know. Yeah, he actually, he did the very odd move, didn't he, when it wasn't selling very well. And he went, if we all get together and use sex magic to, uh, <laughs> we all basically masturbate at the same point in time. Really? We all basically magically make the book carry on. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah, has a really good. He has a, he has a really good, um, there's a really good clip of him on the internet at like um, this Infocon. It was, I think it was like a Robert Anton Wilson celebration and he go, he raps all about the Invisibles, and he's it's it's so Grant Morrison, it's great. Disinfocon, something like that. Because this was the disinformation guy to the. Invisibles. Is that was that is that printed by? What's the it's what's Mad the Yak. What is it? Mad Yak. I don't know. It might have it might have coincided. Yeah. Maybe maybe they're connected. It was like they used to do stuff about magic and and. I think I've still got it. I was the Book of Lies I've got where well, he did a little piece in that. It's and people talk about magic in different ways. It started to get send me down these little rabbit holes reading mm -hmm. that book. And that's what I love about this stuff, because it's yeah. like it's so that's where the, the kind of I know that it's DC Vertigo and they're owned by Warner Brothers, so it's not that underground, but like how many people do you know who who read the Invisibles? Exactly. And by the way, when we talk about how when people say like, oh, the 90s were shit, back to your point that well, maybe your opinion on that that marvel was garbage but vertigo was breaking ground yeah breaking ground but also you had people like fanographics you had people like daniel klaus i'm not quite sure when 
Charles Burns got started, but I'm pretty sure it was the 90s. Um, it's just, and also Hellboy, I'm pretty sure it started in the 90s too, didn't it? I think you're right. And that was think- way underground. Hellboy was not mainstream, even though no, it was I- Dark Horse, but like not many people were focused on a lot of things aside, maybe Alien vs. Predator from Dark Horse, but that really wasn't a big focus. Maybe with some of the older guys that were coming into the shops, but yeah. people around our era, it just, we weren't exposed to that yet. I guess, it, again, it, it's all, it all boils down to what, when you come into comics, because I'm sure if we spoke to somebody who's maybe, you know, maybe in their 60s now, and who, who, who still collect comics, they would have a different perspective on it, you know? Because yeah. now, I'm, you know, as, as I get older, I find myself looking back at the stuff that I missed, and I'm yes. constantly saying to myself, how did I miss this? And the fact of the matter is, it's not nothing to be ashamed of. It's just that with certain things in life, you have to come to it. You have to reach a certain point in your um, personality or in your experience where something makes sense to you. Even if it came out 40 years ago, it might uh-huh. be relevant to your time now. That's also what's so fascinating about comics and art in general um, is that element. Yeah. You come to it eventually. And that's a really great thing. I find myself doing that a lot with a lot of the 90s stuff that I miss because I was so into, you know, the image guys and the artwork and that sort of stuff. It's true, actually. I mean, I'm much the same way, especially more, more so now, I think, than I was because I dropped Marvel and because I like I pick into some of the DC stuff from like post-crisis, even some of the Bronze Age stuff mm-hmm. appealed to me and I've ditched into that. But then gone back and found indie titles I'd never read. And some of it I'd never even heard of. I worked in a comic shop for a brief period in the 90s when there was a comic shop. Right. where I lived and you'd see there was so much there there was just and I realized just how vast it was at that point you know and I was helping my boss go through the diamond catalog just going I had no idea yeah what was out there you know yeah. and it was crazy um but it's kind of the same now you still have to look you still have I mean I think that image is almost considered the third of a big three if you want to because image have done so well and they've produced stuff like saga that's one of the biggest selling comics of the last 10 years mm-hmm. uh, or trade paperbacks at least in the last 10 years and, and the walking dead of course and these things that are hitting the mainstream but in a completely different way but i love that exploration and sometimes just looking at trying to find a way to figure out what's coming out i like normally hop onto amazon and do a i'm gonna search dark horse and see what they're releasing for the next six months mm-hmm. and there's just some really nice books coming out and I want to get in on it and I want to find the gems and I'll take a punt on a couple of things and see if they're any good. And some of it um, is just, it's familiar territory. Cause that's the interesting thing with Dark Horse, isn't it? Where some of it is, it's, it's like franchise yeah. stuff. Even though they've lost a lot of their franchise stuff to Marvel lately, which is yes. quite sad. Yes. Um, but yeah. I read a Dark Horse book. Um... I recently read a Dark Horse book that I didn't like. I forget what it was. I, don't, I, I shouldn't advertise it. But yeah, I took, I took a punt, as you would say. Uh, hang on one second. My daughter wants to say hi, but you want to say hi? Come on. Come say hi. And then you got to go. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? I'm slowly getting her into comics. Yes. I'm doing the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's fun, too, is, is, is trying something out. And if it's not for you, that's fine. Maybe you'll talk with somebody. Because, you know, I like to go to the shops and sometimes I'll ask the guys who work there or the, or the women who work there, hey, what do you recommend? And sometimes they hit the nail on the head for me and sometimes it's, it's not a win. But I like that keeping, keeping um, my, 
my perspective open. I, I like keeping yeah. the doors open for new things that I could discover. Um, and yeah, some of it doesn't work out, uh, yeah. but sometimes it does. Sometimes it does land. I think it's it's a really, I, I mean, I really love ordering a book and just getting really excited about what it might be. I don't normally read the synopsis if I can help it. If it's, there's a creator involved that I like, I've got, um, uh, what was it? Oh, it was a random one. It was from Archaea. Now I can't, the hotel. Babylon or something? No, what was it? No, that's that's a terrible TV series. Sorry, I run off again. It's all good. Grand Abyss Hotel, which is um, I've got an absolute fascination at the moment with that widescreen print format. Uh -huh. I absolutely love it. And I'll be oh, honest, nice. I didn't understand what was going on. I'm gonna. This is going to be a two reader, I think. Uh -huh. But this is uh -huh. David Rubin who did um, Rumble for Image Comics. Okay, I don't think I ever read that. It's, it's Archaea, it's, um, I don't know when it came out, it wasn't that long ago, but like I ordered it with no knowledge and I was so excited for it turning up. <laughs> like, I really wanted it to turn up. And I I've got another one recently as well. I think it's a similar format and it's Grass of Parnassus by uh, Stuart Eminen and Catherine Eminen, Stuart and Catherine Eminen, the husband well, and wife I team. To, I have to look and it's just, it looks beautifully produced and it's a slipcase edition and it, you know, I love that. It's just that anticipation. It might be awful. I don't know. Yeah. But I just, I'm so excited for this thing to turn up. And you it's know, not some, sometimes um, that's that's the juice. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, and also it might be, you know, you seem to like to, uh, you, you like to have shelf appeal. And I get that. Sometimes a book, maybe the, its own purpose is just to look good on the shelf. And if that's your thing, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny as well, because you do get people wandering here. They go, wow, wow. Have you read all of these? <laughs> no. <laughs> I haven't got time. Yeah. Uh, oh, so by the way, the, the Dark Horse book is is called Dead Dog's Bite. And people- Oh, well, like I going to get that. It's got a lot of great reviews. For me personally, it didn't hit. It was a great world. Um, I like the lead characters, but just general general stuff for me. It just didn't land for me. But some people like it. But again, that's the beauty of of comics, and that's that's what I love about it. So you know, I always, especially with shops, I, I want to give, I want to connect with the people who work there. I you know, I I like the sense of the comics community. I like I like having that, and I'll give things a shot just based on a recommendation, and just because I didn't like it, and I told I told them at the shop, you know, please keep them coming, even though I didn't like it. I still want to. I still want to hear about some recommendations because you never know some things that uh, you might not like. I might. So I, I kind of yeah. want to keep that discourse because I love that. I love that conversation because, in the same way that like you mentioned earlier, I don't have a lot of people that I can talk about this with. I have. Yeah. I have. A, I, you know, I, I am in a comic book reading club, but outside in the real world, I'm kind of the only person, mostly that that's into this. Is, so how did did you get into it? at a time when other kids were into it? Or did you just kind of find it on your own? So from a very young age, superhero imagery was always in my house. I had, um, my earliest memory was like, a, you know, those matching games where you have to match up the images? Yeah. You know, those, those, those kind of uh, childhood games. I had one that was yeah. all DC uh, characters. That was probably my earliest memory of superhero imagery. Like when I was a very little boy, and it, it just was always around um, Spider-Man and his amazing friends, the Hulk cartoon yeah. back in the day, even like Spider-Man on the electric company. Um, we didn't get that. Right. So, which, which is kind of what I want to get to um, also. Uh, but wait, so then um, I would buy my comics at the newsstand. 
and I would on the, off the rack, you know, and it was it was marble stuff. But a real eye opener was the first time I walked into a direct market. And I guess that's the advantage in America over other places, the proliferation of the direct market. Um, yeah. And that was just a game changer because at the newsstand, there was there was only a limited amount of comics walking to the direct market. It was wide open, even like with Marvel stuff. I mean, most newsstands were not carrying the Punisher at all. No, I guess they wouldn't. They had a few titles around that time as well that I think categorically weren't on the newsstand. They... No, you couldn't find Watchmen on the newsstand. Dark Knight Returns, no way. So that was like a, a big, a big wide kind of discovery for me. And it just never stopped. Comics have just kind of always been in my life. Um, and I, you know, I go, I've gone in waves during, you know, in my lifetime where I'm really into them. I'm really not into them. But then that's, again, that's the beauty of comic books. You're able, you know, yeah. you're able to kind of step off the train and get back on the train. That's what I really do love about them. Uh, but you said something very interesting. Um, because Marvel is so Western, Westernized. It's such a Western point of view. Would, would you say that? that, that yeah, kind of no, I, I very much agree. It's, it's, I think it kind of adds like a, adds to the mythology, I think, from a, an English perspective, because we don't, it's so vastly different. It's almost like a modern fable. Yes. Really, isn't it? But it's a lot of it's set like in, you know, this it's, it's set in America mostly. I suppose once you had guys, what was it? Was it 2000 AD? Was that the book that Gaiman and Morrison came off and, and then they... Yeah. So it, never, up, up, up until then, it felt... Say again? I never read any of that. I didn't read any of that. Those the, the English comics, they either were these horrifically unfunny things like the Beano, which like people would... My, I think my first exposure to comics as a kid was the Beano. Okay. And the dandy, which are these, they've got Dennis the Menace, which is different to the US Dennis the Menace. And he does something vaguely naughty. And then his dad puts him over his knee and hits him in the butt with a slipper. Yeah. Like, and it's the same gag every every single issue for thousands upon thousands of issues. Um, and then the other end of that spectrum was was this incredibly gritty um, dystopian future of, yes. of 2000 AD. And it was just, there was nothing in between. And, and um, where there wasn't that array of comics, or comics weren't really a medium that, that did particularly well in this country. I'm surprised 2008 has lasted as long as it has. And it's brilliant that it has. But I've barely dipped into it. I've read a couple of stories since in collected editions. But I but, feel like the UK kind of, that, that perspective also shifted is what is, is something that was great in the shifting of Marvel and DC into, yeah. into a different kind of realm of storytelling. Yeah, um, I think that that was kind of uh, a, a great happening, a great kind of merging. They really did change the face of comics, of modern, of, of commercial comics, you could say. Like the big two. It's just I funny when you, focus on. when you think that those, those creators came from a country where comics aren't a thing. Right. Not really. They're right. not really a thing here. Like, and, and how did they end up being these titans? Right. You know, But I think a part of it is that mysticism to it i mean like grant morrison kind of treats a lot of american superhero characters almost as as gods that he can tap that he can tap into their magic and you're like i'm just i need to be more like the flash today and i'm gonna be you know there is a a mysticism to it. like there is about america as a whole like i've been to so i've been to florida twice and it's weird to be in the country where all these stories are set that's partly what excited me so much the last yeah. last time i went i went to an actual comic shop and this was like it wasn't like the biggest i can't remember where it was now but it was in florida 
Um, but it's just that experience was amazing. But also just to be in this country and get a perspective of how insanely huge it is compared to this country, which is like a puddle by comparison. Our country is smaller than most states. Yeah. You know, it's tiny. And it's funny when you get... Yeah, it's, I mean, like, it's it's cool. It's just, it's so different. Yes. And you get these stories set in England and it's always involves King Arthur. When it's American comics, they always go, King Arthur, like, oh, that guy again. And like, we don't even, we're not that interested in King Arthur over here. We've, we've finished with him now, we've moved on. Um, but it's always King Arthur, cobbled streets with fog. <laughs> and all this, this strange idea of what England is and it's just not. And like, yeah. I remember the first time I read the word noggin was in a Spider-Man comic and it was set in England. I went, oh, I've fallen and hurt me noggin. And I went, do you know what a noggin is? I'm like, I don't understand what this English guy is saying. Yeah, so was that what it was? It was you in the pages of Marvel, you were seeing America? Was that kind of the allure of it? Yeah, I guess in a way, you know, looking back, I, you know, I, don't, I don't think at the time, I think it's just this, there's just a, a magic and kind of mystery. That sounds so cheesy, doesn't it? But to this whole thing, it's like as a place, America sounds just really cool and interesting, whereas England's quite grey <laughs> and rainy, as we've discussed. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, then you add to that this great, these spangly red and blue costumes, these primary coloured costumes and this inspirational attitude like like a lot of a lot of english kind of characters are quite down and miserable and you just accept that defeat is inevitable you know whereas like american comic characters seem to be aspirational mm -hmm. it's just such a completely different take i remember like like so i mean that whole that whole conversation as well about like you pick marvel or you pick dc and i think part of that as well you'll find fault in all the dc characters sure. if you're a marvel person and vice versa even though it's the same creators working on both you'll find fault. And I, I, I took a, a bit of a gamble on all three Green Lantern omnis with Jeff Johns. And I read the whole thing. And I remember just taking the piss out of the Green Lantern for years and years and years because the yellow thing, the, the like, so you can wear a yellow jumper and you can probably beat him. Like, how does, <laughs> I'm going to paint the hammer yellow. Just, I'm sure a hammer in the head would probably hurt anybody. To be fair. Um, but it seemed ridiculous. But then I like, just before then, I remember having a conversation with someone going, so Captain America, there's a film coming out. Yeah, yeah. They go like, why is, how is that going to be any good? Like, he's just so pro-America. Like, but no, he's, no, he's not. He's pro an ideal. Mm -hmm. Like, you've not understood the character. You've looked at a picture and gone, that's who that, that character is. And I go, oh, crap, I've been doing that with the Green Lantern, Superman, and all these other characters for years. I'm a hypocrite. And that's what made me go, I need to just, I need to try this stuff out. And I've loved it. You did? I, I've, I have not read the Jeff Johns Green Lantern. Oh. I haven't gotten anybody to recommend it to me. Everybody always like is always like, ah, it's all right. But you're the first person. So you know what? I'm going to try it out. To be fair, when I was reading it, I was I read the Rebirth storyline when they, they kind of bring back Hal Jordan. Well, mm -hmm. not really. Um, and then the, it says, it basically announces there's a Green Lantern core series. I'm not reading a Green Lantern core series. Like, there's a line. I'll read Green Lantern, and I'm not doing all that other malarkey. And then um, I thought, oh, screw it. You know, I will just to kind of get a bigger picture because you know what? I'm a comic collector and I'm going to buy another series that ties in with the thing. <laughs> so I did. And Green Lantern Corps was way better than Jeff John's Green Lantern. Oh, yeah. Peter Tomasi writes it and he wrote the Batman Robin uh, New 52 uh, DC series, which uh -huh. was also 
way that that came out at the same time as, as Scott Snyder's Batman, but uh-huh. was way better. And everyone's going, Scott Snyder's Batman is amazing. Like, read Batman and Robin. Is it it's better? Way better. I have yeah. not. Read, I haven't read Snyder's Batman. I love Morrison. Recommend. Batman. You did what? Sorry. I love Morrison's Batman. You can probably tell I'm like a real Morrison fan. By now. Okay, yeah, it's bleeding through. So I'm kind of picking up on some little cues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I read his Batman. I haven't read the snot. I've read some of Scott Snyder's stuff. I've read the Court of Owls and I've read, there was another arc I might've read. I even tried the Tom King stuff out. Do you do you like Tom King at all? Uh, I dropped it during Tom King. I couldn't. Have you read his I, Mr. Miracle? He's some good things. His vision was brilliant. And I really like Miracle Man. Miracle but Man. After that, it's the same story over again. I, I read his um, Strange Adventures, Adam Strange thing recently. I like that. Did you? I did. Have you read the, those other stories, though, like like uh, Vision and Miracle yeah. Man? Yes, I you have. have. Do you yeah. do you not do you feel it is a bit of a repeat? Are you quite happy with that? Yes, I do. I do feel like he has a real niche. He's a real romantic. I I do like how he writes relationships. Um, I I I don't. It's not the same hit as it is for me as Miracle Man. Miracle Man for me was a real revelation. I really did like the storytelling in there. Um, yes, it does feel like that, but in the same way that I go see movies over and over again by the same director, I'll read stuff by Tom King. I actually really did like Strange Adventures in the sense that um, I like the question of, is Adam Strange a war hero or is he a war criminal? I did like that. Uh-huh. But again, that's the beauty of comics, you know, like yeah. people are like, oh, it's old hat. I, you know, like that it's the same thing over and over again. And I guess, I guess it, for me, it depends on if I feel like the writer has the chops or not. And I feel like Tom King has chops. People don't love his bat. People actually haven't been able to recommend his Batman to me, which is almost making me want to jump into it to go against the grain. Just so it's I can- It's a good find way to go like into Batman. something. If you expect nothing, in theory, you can only go up, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, unless it's less than nothing. But I mean, like, I was—I don't think I finished it actually. But I was reading his Sheriff of Sheriff of Babylon, okay, is, which is closer to his experiences in the was it the which was it the Gulf War he was when he was CIA. I don't know. I don't know his biography. I, I don't know. I don't know. I know that he was in the CIA. I, I don't know the details of that. But like when he set something in that setting. Like that worked. I thought that series worked. I'm a bit vague on it right now because it's been a couple of years, but like I thought that series worked really, really well. This is where I'm really contradictory. With Adam Strange, uh-huh. I wanted to know, I, I hadn't read much Adam Strange, so I wanted to, to pick that up and then potentially we'd see some more and I'd carry on with it, but it felt like an ending. Yes. You know? Have you finished it? So been, it felt like I'd, I'd been done over. Have you finished it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I finished okay. it. It is an ending, yeah. It's a big yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's also what I like about DC is their Elseworld stuff. I'm more interested in uh, uh, these the self-contained stories. And that's what I think DC re- it really excels at is the Elseworld stuff. I really do enjoy that. It's funny because when you, when you talk to people, it's like with that, the word canon coming into conversation so much. Um, I, I have another Instagram account where I do actually review books, where I, where I do give an opinion, which is um, it's WM underscore comic underscore reviews which is very catchy um but yeah I, what was it i reviewed on there sorry i forgot oh yeah there i i, I dropped a review i've started to reread the new 52 justice league mm-hmm. um just to kind of because i'm a bit more open-minded about that now and i want some popcorn to read basically i want some chewing gum for the eyes um 
I'm having to read through that. And someone went, yeah, but this doesn't count anymore because it's not canon. Like, what? That's just not... What? Drop canon. Canon, what's that? Something that's in continuity this week might not be next week with one little revelation. Just find stories you like. Yes. And just be happy to read them. Yes. So, and, and I used to have that opinion. So, like, in terms of Elseworlds and stuff, it didn't happen because it's an alternate universe. Like, well, newsflash, none of it happened. It's fiction. Right. Just find stories you like. And it made me reread Gotham by Gaslight. Uh-huh. Um, again, with that open, this is just a story. Have fun with it. And I absolutely loved it. Yes. Canon can be a prison. Canon can be yeah. a creative prison when it comes to comics. Really? You know, and it's, it's definitely limiting. Very limiting. It's interesting to see where DC are going to go with their current continuity because it does feel like they're kind of going, yeah, don't worry about the continuity and just read some fun stories, which yeah. I like the idea of. But yeah. it's, dif- it's difficult when you've set a universe up to be a constant flow from whatever time, 86, the 60s, whatever it is, to get out of that mindset. Because it's like comic fans, mainstream comic fans, I think have been uh, almost conditioned to go like, does this count though? Does it count? Right. It's, yeah, it's weird. When you step away, you're going. That's a bit strange. You need to stop thinking that way. Yeah, it's it it, it is really restrictive in terms of um, keeping you from enjoying uh, yeah. the, the stories that come out, the celebration of the characters. Um, now, not like we need to see over and over again the origins of these things. Neither of us are, are pointing towards that, but yeah. it is nice to kind of, to see artists liberate themselves from continuity and that's when yeah. the heroes become very very interesting and you can really yeah. good stories you know dc i think is really good at that they are they really are although i think that the the times when marvel shines with it is when they let a creator run with characters that no one gives a crap about yeah. and that's where like go back to x factor peter david is brilliant at that. he did that with the hulk in the 80s and 90s <clears throat> Um, no one cared about the Hulk. No one wanted to write the Hulk. No one wanted to buy it. But they they seem to want to keep doing it because he's a flagship character. Mm-hmm. So he went, like, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he could do whatever he wanted on it because no one cared. And it was some of the best, I think the best Hulk era ever. Um, and it was 10 years worth. And the only reason yeah. he left is because they started going, hang on, hang on a minute. This is popular now. And it's doing really well in terms of sales. So now we're going to tell you how you need to write this series. And he went, like, bye. Yeah, that's that seems to be kind of the cycle of how it goes. Uh, a creator comes into a property that's not popular, is able to flex their might on it, and it becomes popular. And then, yeah. it, and then it, it gets a lot of attention on it. And then creative kind of starts to get stifled. Yeah. It's, it's, you see it over and over again. And, and it's really cool when it happens. Me, per, I, I, again, I'm going to mention it because it really did. I, I have not cared about the Hulk since P, the Peter David run. Right. Have you given the Al Ewing run a shot? Have you given it a real shot? I read about 20, 25 issues. Okay, so you have. It just didn't click, huh? It's okay. Like, it's, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like Al Ewing's trying a bit too hard. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't wash with me. I, I think I'm like, I'm starting to prefer just really clean stories yeah it's like i read the i read the scott snyder justice league stuff which is what made me jump back and go i need some jeff johns i need some cleansing yeah justice league just some some simpler stories where they're trying to get bigger and bigger here's a concept that you can't possibly understand (laughs) that's impossible to stop yeah and they go okay if we do that and we do that right 
we all get it, right? Even though you're a news reporter, you're a, a, a CSI guy and you lived on an island most of your life. We're all going to figure it out, totally understand it, and it's going to be over in like five issues, all right? Yeah. How can it get bigger from here? I just like, just that, I prefer that clean storytelling again, you know? That's why I like to jump back onto, I, I want, I haven't actually read Hellboy all the way through yet. I keep picking it up, reading it, and then getting distracted. I want to go back and read Hellboy. It's clean storytelling. It's really clean is. art. And it's just, it feels lovely. It's just, it's such a nice feeling to Hellboy. Yeah. Um, a lot of McDonough stuff is like that. I read this uh, Baltimore series, which is about uh, a soldier from you know, World War One, mm-hmm. ends up being a monster hunter. And there's more to it than that. But I loved it. I loved that series. And it's very simple storytelling. He just started a new series. He just put out a one shot that he actually wrote Andrew. Um, the name escapes me right now, but it's actually oh, really, really yeah. good. It just came out last month and it's it's going to be an ongoing. And yeah, Mignola, like he's like a like what a visionary. He, I hold him in the same rank as like a, a Jack Kirby in a way where he really yeah. kind of put a stamp on art. He he really made a world. He was a world builder in and of, of himself. And yeah, those early Hellboy stories where he was he was at the reins the whole time before the movies and stuff there was real magic to it and it was it was a very as you say classic storytelling but with such vision and with such creativity that it was it was um undeniable uh there's something really powerful about those pages and that's that's why like you can read it really quickly mm-hmm. Hellboy is like as a start i recommended it recently as a starter book for people who've never read comics before because it's an easy flow you can read it fairly quickly if you want to, but if you don't and you want to really absorb that artwork, mm-hmm. you know, as simple as it is, you can just look at those pages. It's normally, um, I forgot his name, Dave Stewart on color, mm-hmm. and his coloring works incredibly well with um, with Mike McNola. And it's just such a fantastic team up in terms of just the art, yes. And then a lot of the fight scenes are literally just boof, <laughs> big old fist coming up, and a werewolf. Across the gorgeous, page. by the way, they're gorgeous. And you know, again, for the for, in terms of like the 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 Kirby parallel that I made, he really kind of you have it. You see a whole school of Mignola kind of acolytes ever since his coming. There are people who like Raphael Grampa uh, and and the like. There are people whose style totally comes from Mike Mignola, and that's a beautiful thing. I mean, yeah. he really was. He really did revolutionize a lot of things, and. Speaking of trades, those early Hellboy trades from Dark Horse, they look really good on a shelf. Yeah, they do. Right? Well, they, they released um, another version recently, which was, I think it's the whole lot in fairly thick trades in a box set. That's nice. And I have them already in hardcover, which is the Black Material Bound mm-hmm. Library Edition. And I was looking at this box set going, I want, I want the box set. Like, I want the box set as well. <laughs> like, why? I've got it already. Yeah. I want the box set. Right. No, I, I totally get it. Let me ask you a question about um, what you've seen in terms of trends with your followers. Do you think Instagram, in a way, is another way for people to collect? In other words, do you think that the accounts that one follows can sort of be the same sense of a collection that somebody who collects other things have? That sounds kind of muddled, but I guess what I'm getting at is, are, is image collecting a thing? Do you think that that's kind of like a modern kind of um, activity or? Weirdly, I think I think followers is collecting as well. 
Um, but yeah, I think image, there's, there's a guy that does a, an account called Xtropes, which is just good fun. Um, it's crazy what he does. Like, and I've, I've messaged him a few times, going like, dude, I can't get my head around how you've put this together because this is insane. And he'll literally pick a theme and it'll go like, Xtropes, face slap. And it'll be each, each for, for like a few days or a week, he'll show a character slapping another character across the face from a scene. I love it. And it's just, and then he'll switch it to something else. And he might come back to that trope for a bit. Mm-hmm. And then, and it'll be like, well, it might be like a face, uh, uh, X-Tropes butt shot, or it might be like, whatever yeah. it might be. It might just pick a character and do something based on that character for a while. But normally it's it's a thing that happens. I, I remember I messaged him initially, went like, you might have done it already, but I've been reading so many X books at the moment to cover on the Marvel Comics Guide. And it's constantly featuring Colossus ripping up a tree. <laughs> Every story starts with Colossus ripping up a tree. But like, I'm surprised there's any trees left on the Xavier estate. And he went, yeah, I've done, I've done. I thought, yeah, it's a bit obvious, isn't it? Wow. But like, I hadn't really picked up on it before until I was reading a batch together from different eras. Doesn't matter what decade it is, Colossus is ripping up a tree. It puts such a different context on the books. Some of these accounts, such as your own, put a different context on the imagery and of the books. And it's almost like following certain accounts is a collection, not yeah. in the sense that you amass something where uh, you it imposes on your life, it imposes itself on your life, but in a sense that um, you have you, you you have this thing that you return to constantly. You have these accounts that you return to over and over again to kind of um, amass either a sensibility, an attitude, an uh-huh. aesthetic. It's very interesting what people do with Instagram. It's very interesting the what what people respond to with Instagram and especially with comics. You get a whole different sense of comics on Instagram. It's a really great tool for celebrating them in a different way. And it's, I don't think it's 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 beneath actually reading them. It's just a different experience that you're having with them. And they're just so primed for the format, which yeah. which is really something that um, is a, is kind of a new phenomenon with comics. The the comics on Instagram, the images uh-huh. on Instagram. You know, like yeah. there there. I'm sure there are people that that follow your page that don't even read the comics. They just love the pictures. There are. There are plenty. Like occasionally, I'll do a Q and A Q&A thing and say, like, "Does do you read comics? Do you do you want to help get into comics? Because it's it's hard. It's hard to, get, especially mainstream comics. Where do you start? It's right. tricky. So like, and everybody has a different answer of where you would start. My answer from for where you where wants to start would be different from uh, your explanation of of where one would start. That's what's again yeah. the beauty of comics. Yeah, it is the beauty of comics. And like, it normally starts with me asking a ton of questions. I'm doing it on an individual basis, which is incredibly time consuming, but it's cool because I like it. Um, but yeah, there'll be people that just say like, you know, do you read comics? No. Like, if you don't read comics, do you, you, do you want to? And they go, no. Some people are like, nope. Right. I just like looking at the artwork. Mm-hmm. I like the films mm-hmm. and I want to see the how it compares. And that's all I want to do. And it's, and I, I've jumped in here and I actually just quite like following it and learning about stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't want to read the stories. There was someone I was talking to the other day and they said there was a young guy he works with and he said, yeah. And he, you know, he reads comics. My friend does. And he's going, yeah, I started reading Marvel recently. And I just picked up some books. He said, what did you pick up? And he went, Secret Wars. And I'm like, what the, what, who was it by? And he went, it's Mike Zett. And like, you oh. went to 1984, Secret Wars. What did you think of it? 
And I loved it. Great. Did you? Because <laughs> <laughs> I love Secret Wars. Look, I've got the. I bought the box set. I bought the Secret oh. Wars box set. This is heavy and it hurts. Um, but it's all the books in. It's Secret Wars two as well. And I still have a soft spot for Secret Wars two, even though yeah. frankly it's balls. <laughs> um, but I love Secret Wars. But as much as I love it, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to anyone coming into comics now because yeah. it's very dated. Okay, so let me jump in and clarify what Secret Wars was. In the 80s, Marvel Comics staged this huge crossover event. It was something like 12 issues where they took all of their characters and staged this big, massive battle in an alien galaxy. And it was this big, huge event. Uh, Before that, you didn't really see all of the Marvel Comics characters in one book. And it was a big rock'em sock'em event. But the thing was that this massive event was really just a marketing ploy by Mattel, who was planning to release a line of action figures with Marvel. So they needed something to tie into the actual comics that got the kids excited. So lo and behold, they came up with Secret Wars, which is a pretty cool title. And there was a lot of hype around it. It was typical 80s marketing jive. And us 80s kids fell for it hook, line, and sinker. I mean, even down to the main villain, his name was The Beyonder, and his superpower was that he could do absolutely anything he ever wanted. So yeah, there really wasn't much deep creativity going on in the Marvel office. They just kind of said, yeah, we have this guy, and he could just do anything. Let's uh, have all the Marvel guys fight him. And that's Secret Wars. The Beyonder was so cool to me when Secret Wars first came out. The outfit's awesome. The power <laughs> just to do whatever is just, a, it's fantastic. It's like, you know, it blew my mind as a boy. Uh-huh. But as I've gotten older, it's it's a, it's obviously a joke. But, yeah. you know, there, there was a few issues, I think in the Bendis, I think in the Bendis Illuminati miniseries, where yeah. the Thunder comes back and he actually get he gets his due. Well, he's, I think the idea is it's set, it's really hard to place. Yeah. Um, it sounds like it's set before he comes to Earth. Yes. Um, in Secret Wars 2. But he's already wearing the white outfit. So it would be after number three. This is where I get all obsessive because I, 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 I've got yes. spreadsheets. This is where I place everything and I shift issues around and chop up issues and I use other things as guides to that. But like, where does this story sit? And I get messaged about that one oddly frequently. Where does this story belong in Secret Wars 2? Like, it just doesn't. For the most part, I'd ignore it. It, and it's it, so confounding because Secret Wars was basically made to sell toys, which is like so. Yeah. It, it like it, it it kind of scorns me a bit, but also like if you can just let that go, there is some joy in there. Yeah, there absolutely is. I mean, I've literally read Secret Wars. I don't know. It's around about thirty times in my life. I've read Secret Wars a number of times yeah. because it, part of it is nostalgia. Yes. Part of it is just simple pleasure it's just and it's very simple storytelling and sure some of the characters are a bit out of whack like wolverine's not like that anymore in the x-men books but he's all like stay away from my team cap however he talks i don't know what accent was that i'm not a pirate (laughs) um but yeah it's it's odd there are some odd choices in there but i love it yeah and it's self-contained yeah you know 
for all intents and purposes, it's self-contained. So you can just go, look, here's, they all get sucked off to, an, that sounded wrong, they all get sucked off to an island, matron, and then they go home at the end. Your story's yeah. finished. But there's also um, fallout from that. She-Hulk sure. goes to Fantastic Four, things stays behind, Spider gets the black costume, Molecule Man becomes goes from being kind of broken man to a major player. We get Titania as well added into, into the stories, even though she might not be big names, but she's, you know, it's part of it. Doom's whole thing changed because he was actually dead at that time. John Byrne killed him off. Well, he transferred his mind into another body. You're making me but, want to reread Secret Wars now. Congratulations. Fun. Thank you. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm not trying to be dismissive about saying, oh, it, it had, you know, a commercial agenda, but there's yeah. a whole generation of comic writers now, Donny Cates being one of them, that actually took the lore from Secret Wars and gave it a bit of importance and made it a new canon, which is cool. I got to respect that. I haven't, I, it personally isn't for me, but you see that it inspired a whole generation of, of artists that, that are yeah. still, still changing comics with it. It kind of echoed through. It's funny because like you look at a lot of those creators now and even though I'm not buying the books, but I, I look at the solicits um, and you can see a real mix of people that were buying that stuff in the 80s, people that were into X-Force or whatever in the 90s. It's all kind of coming back because people yeah. want to dip into the pool, yeah. you know? They brought back Ben Riley, haven't they? And like that really surprised yeah. me to a degree. Um, and I feel like they're injecting, was... they're injecting credibility to it or attempting to. Yeah. You know? That's quite that appeal that does appeal to me. I'm I'm fighting the urge to go and dip into that. I think when it's on unlimited, I might yeah. give it a little look. Yeah. But and again, like you do get people speaking of unlimited as well. And when people ask these things of what they should pick up or how best to read it, I don't know how that guy read Secret Wars. If you got a trade, you might have got it cheap. Right. But if you read it on on unlimited, I know a lot of people go, if you no, no, you've got to buy the single issues. Like, no, <laughs> let people do whatever works for them. Yeah. There's so many options now, possibly yeah. too many. They might need to hone it. I don't know if, if single issues will be around forever. I like single issues. There are things that I've read on Unlimited that I finish and I'm like, oh, wow, I really want to own those issues. But that's the collector in me. Uh -huh. and what's great about Unlimited, and I hope DC kind of follows suit, is that I can go and discover the things that I didn't get to when I was a boy or yeah. couldn't afford. There's simply the fact of the matter is that to be able to have read all those stories back in the day, it cost a lot of money. Yeah. Even if issues were what a dollar back then, now they're like, now they're $4.99, but no, back then, you just, you just couldn't get it to it all just because of the volume and the price of it all. So it's nice to have them all. Yes. You don't own the floppies, but what's more important, the experience of reading the stories and having the information or owning yes. the book. So I'm finding a lot of joy in, in, going back and reading some of those arcs that I missed in Marvel. Yeah, it's it's a really nice way of doing it. And it's a really nice way of just dipping back. I mean, like, with it adding old, I'm reading the old Silver Surfers by Steve Englehart. Uh -huh. um, and I was never a big Steve Englehart guy. I um, always found him a little bit too cheesy, but um, I just jumped back to those. And I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not adoring them, but I'm really liking it. It's a really nice series to read. It's the 1987 series. I don't, think they collect well they, i think they collect it in trades but i want a chunky volume yeah. of that. i want that on my shelf because it's it's a really nice series um but so far it's only on unlimited so i'm gonna read it on unlimited there you go and I'm, I'm loving it 
I read, uh, I recently read with my, I, my, my choice for my recent comic book club, the, the, when it came around to my choice, we read the Doctor Strange run by Steve Englehart. I wouldn't recommend it, but I'm glad I read it. Does that make right. sense? Was that before, is that before Roger Stern's run? It was 74 to like 76. It's totally incoherent. It's right. like, it's like, it's the first, it's the first death of Doctor Strange which is fantastic. Uh, oh, yes, yeah. Which is fantastic. But then it kind of keeps going and it loses focus. On, and it's debatable on whether it had focus or not. But again, it's one of those books where I was reading it and I'm and it, it to think that that was going on in the 70s kind of piqued my interest because for a teenager to be reading that in the 70s must have really been kind of a mind-blowing moment for them. It kind yeah. of maybe shifted some, some ideas around in you know, some of these teenagers' heads. It's wild stuff. It's it's definitely stoned stuff, but you know, <laughs> if, you, if you were a kid in the seventies reading that, that's that's some some pretty cool stuff. Well, between that and Warlock, yes, I absolutely. So that's for the most part, the seventies era doesn't really appeal to me. Sixties doesn't, but I love Jim Starlin's Warlock. Like, and it's another one of those that they've released again in a in like the, the gallery edition format, which is a slightly bigger format, nice. but I've got it in something else and I've had it in another format. And I had the issues at one point. Yeah. And I just keep getting it. And I, I love it. I just, yeah. it's so weird. Yeah. But it's also like, you read it going like, well, I would have been, how old would most kids have been reading comics? Life-changing, you know, like it, totally life-changing to read some it's of that. so stuff. introspective. And as a kid, as an adult, you'd probably read it and be like, this is rubbish. But like, as a kid, if you're like in junior high and you're reading that, your mind is being blown. Uh-huh. I love it. Yeah. I love, I love what he did. But no one was doing that. I mean, no. like, when you compare it to Avengers and it's all very bombastic. Yes. Kind of old school Marvel, even at that point. I think Avengers kind of stayed the same for quite a long time yeah. in, that, in terms of how it felt. And then you look, at, you look at Warlock and you're thinking, I can't believe they produced this. Especially where there's a whole issue dedicated to him taking the piss out of Stan Lee and Len, Len Wing. Yeah, it was very postmodern and it was psychedelic. Yeah. Some of, the, some of that, the Starlin cosmic stuff. Silver, yeah. Silver Surfer was definitely my guy in when I, in the nineties. I loved, I loved that Silver Surfer run that I, I love Warlock. Um, I have those issues. Warlock oh. was one of my guys for sure. I loved cosmic Marvel. I still do. I don't love like the Kree and the Shi'ar stuff. Like that, I kind of zone out. I can't really, I can't really connect with that stuff, but like some of the more, psychedelic cosmic marvel stuff i really do have an affinity towards yeah they're they're, they're quite inscribable <laughs> i can't really explain what the appeal is about them and, and normally it's jim starlin i think yes it's yes. just jim starlin i think yes. the strongest stuff tends to be jim starlin so that's not factoring anything in that jack kirby's done but i've not read a huge amount of jack kirby marvel the right. jack kirby stuff that i've really latched onto from marvel and dc was the 70s stuff because mm -hmm. it was just so so out there like this machine man is is out there yes it's just weird and i love it and i think that for me is that's the height of jack kirby it's not it's not the fantastic four yeah i have some friends who do a jack kirby podcast that would probably want to break into this podcast and shake us up <laughs> the king's name <laughs> again that's the beauty of comics it is the beauty of comics it's funny though because as a kid though reading reading 90s x-men with jim lee and then going they've released a marvel masterworks with the first 10 issues right. i'm going to go back and read that and i'm opening up going 
what? Yeah. <laughs> this looks so weird. Yes. And then it's not until you get older and you go, oh my God, Jack Kirby was just way ahead of his time. And he was a genius. A world builder. I discussed this with, with, I discussed this with my friends about him who do this podcast. He was, he was a very, one of the few that was a world builder in his images. Yeah, he really was. And all the ways he experimented with his art as well. Like, I, I didn't appreciate that until I got older. Like, I'm working yeah. in an artistic, I have an art-based career. Yeah. And I'm looking at Jack Kirby and going, damn, I'm still learning from Kirby. Like, that art is yeah. so old. Again, it circles back to, you know, sometimes you have to come to it. Just, yeah. it, it takes time. And, you know, that's that's something that, that isn't really... Um, that isn't really valued. People think that if you don't like something right now, when it comes out, you're wrong. And maybe it's just not the right time for you. And it's the, not the right story, then not the right images. You're not in the place in your life to gravitate towards that. Yeah, it can be the rest of the world, isn't it? It's like Airplane. When Airplane out came out and uh, Police Squad and things like that, I don't think, well, I think Airplane was probably more popular. Police Squad, I think, is genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolute genius. <laughs> but like, people didn't really get it. Yeah, that's what's cool, you know. That's what's Good. cool, you know. And you have that archive with comics and you know movies. You have streaming and stuff like that. But with comics, you have you have the leftovers. You still have the books. You have that with movies too. You know, it's, it might be hard to find yeah. them, you know, because there aren't video stores in, anymore. And a lot of people are uh, prisoners to what's whatever streaming. You don't have yeah. that discovery anymore, where you go into a video store and oh, what's this on the shelf? You look at the back of it. That's kind of been lost. But who knows? Maybe through other accounts. Movie accounts, people discover their stuff in the same way that people might discover things on your on Marvel Comics Guide. That's a good point. I think I might need to start following some film-based accounts. <laughs> yeah, in a way, like in a way, like your account is might be the new format of the comic shop, or something that runs in tandem. Potentially, God, it's it's weird. So, like, I think one of the things I do like about that interaction, though, and is people saying, "I like that it's an array. I like that it's almost like a pick and." I'm going to say pick and mix. That's a very English thing. But it's like just chocolate box. I don't know. But just putting those things out there and letting people choose. I guess it tends when people vote for the the top five stories of all comic book stories of all time, people will always go to Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, yada yada yada. There's tons of stuff. Like there's tons of stuff that you may never have heard of. That's brilliant. I give it a go. And if I find, if I put something on there that I genuinely think has been overlooked and people should pick up, I will sell the hell out of it in the hope that even just one person will, will read it. Yeah. Well, bravo. So wh what's the next omnibus that's on your list? Oh my God. I don't actually, I think, I think it's Batman No Man's Land volume one. Mm -hmm. In terms of Marvel, the one I'm most looking forward to is Peter David's X Factor. And it's, it's actually volume two because they collected the 90s one as volume one, which mm -hmm. I think was a mistake. They should have done X-Factor Investigations as separate. But if, if you've not read it, read it. It is one of the most satisfying titles because he's got a collection of C-list characters that no one really cares about. He can do what he does. And it's it's a soap opera. It's drama. And that's Marvel at its best. Yes. It's not about the big... I mean, you get the big fight and yeah, the big fight's great. A lot of time people say to me, so who won this fight? And I, go, I don't remember. I don't remember. It's about the impact of the fight. It's not about who wins or loses the fight, unless that is the impact. But, you know, it's like what Peter Parker didn't do because he was having the fight. That's yeah. what's important, Yeah. you know? And like X Factor is, 
it's just so it's all about those characters in that team and it's a team that shouldn't exist they shouldn't belong together they're barely even friends they're an oddball group they're the proper outsiders not like those x-men outsiders who live in the fancy mansion with all the technology right. uh, you can actually aspire to being an x-men <laughs> it's not that hard is it you get a fancy mansion right. these guys are living in a rundown building in some dodgy part of new york city is that um, also is that wills portacio was he doing the art for that was he the- no, he did. He did the the issues before Pete uh, Pete David jumped on. So he did okay. the Chris Claremont ones. Okay. Um, I think for the nineties one, it was Larry Stroman and uh, Joe Casada and Jay Lee did some of those on the X Factor Investigations one, which is the one coming up. Who was on it? It was Ryan Sirk. Um, David Yardin did covers, but I don't remember if he did interiors. I can't really remember. There was a lot, there were a lot of artists on yeah. it, and I think they didn't always stay that long. Yeah. But it almost doesn't matter. Like some of the art isn't that strong, but the storytelling is so good. There were times when he was he was on the internet going, like, please, please, please don't spoil the ending to X Factor 38. And no one did because no one was reading. Yeah, that's kind of the you know I I personally have shifted more towards um following the writers these days probably within the last 25 years so uh, this everything you're saying is totally appealing to me so is, i'm on who, who I'm do on. you actually you're gonna get it oh yeah i'm gonna read it on unlimited right now please let me know what you think back. <laughs> I you have to will. start with mad drops i've actually put a reading order for x for that x factor era x factor investigations on the marvel comics guide um but it's re- it's fairly straightforward it's essentially mad drops one to five and then x factor to the end and it's great i'm on it